0: Welcome to the latest episode of APPA's Help of Power Now podcast. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest today is Woody Rickerson, Vice President of System Planning and Weatherization at the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, which is an independent system operator responsible for overseeing the reliable and safe transmission of electricity over the power grid serving most of Texas. Woody, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for,
1: for having me on.
0: Sure thing. So, Woody, uh, first couple of questions I have um, probably not surprisingly relate to the topic of reliability. Um, so my first question is, that, you know, in the wake of winter storm Uri in, in February of 2021, um, which did result in some power outages across Texas, ERCOT implemented a large number of reforms to improve, improve grid reliability this past winter. So could you detail how those reforms helped ERCOT uh, in terms of maintaining reliability during the winter of 2021-2022?
1: Sure. I think probably the maybe the most significant change occurred when it became state law that ERCOT would not only inspect generation, but that there would be fines associated with those generators that didn't meet certain requirements. And so that uh, that would be the PUC that would actually recommend those fines and uh, up until last winter we didn't have that capability so uh, we had an inspection program but it was uh, it, there was no there were no teeth to the to the inspection program and so now we have a uh, a full-time weatherization and inspection team uh, we have it funded through through a, a mechanism and uh, we we have we're working on the, the final set of rules now so that when we go out and inspect units, everyone knows for sure what the uh, what the, the standards are and, and what's expected. So that's probably one of the most significant changes that occurred. And I think we saw that pay off this winter during the cold weather that we had. We had very, very few uh, cold weather-related outages. Um, another change has been um, the, the Public Utility Commission has just asked us to operate the grid more conservatively. And really what that means is that we have more generation resources held in reserve at all times. So um, that's, a, that's a, it's a little bit different than what we've done in the past where we have let uh, market prices bring on new generation. We're now being asked to, to hold those generation res- generation resources in reserve and have a, a little bit larger buffer than what we've had in the past.
0: So now we, 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 we've gotten through this this, this latest winter, um, and which reflects everything that you just talked about. Anything, or this may be too early at this point, but uh, anything in terms of, you know, lessons learned or further improvements that could be applied um, for the next winter season?
1: Well, the the Public Utility Commission currently has a rulemaking open that will um, determine what those final standards are going to be. So we we operated to some interim standards that were basically uh, lessons learned from the 2011 event for this last winter. And this latest rulemaking will determine what our rules are going forward. So um, we're in the process of, of that rulemaking now.
0: Okay, great. Uh, and then just sticking with the topic of reliability, um, could you talk about the steps ERCOT's taking to ensure reliability during the summer months of this year? Um, do you guys have a, any preliminary forecasts at this point in terms of expected peak demand?
1: Yeah, so this ERCOT remains a, a summer peaking um, region. So our highest loads will be in the summer and uh so we spend a lot of the spring getting ready for the uh those w- the, the, the summer months and so uh to get ready we we work with generators to make sure that they are are ready for that uh, sustained generation so there are some inspections that go on to look at summer readiness uh, we work with generators to get their maintenance done in the spring uh, we also work with transmission companies so that we minimize the number and length of outages that are taken during the summer months. We want all as much uh, maintenance work as we can to be done in the spring months and the fall also, but to get ready for the summer and the spring so that uh, we can have all the elements of the grid up and running for those those peak periods. So that's the, that's the main thing that we're doing. Um we will have a, a summer assessment that will be released here in a few weeks. So that, that those numbers are not final yet, but um I think May 17th is the date we're gonna release that summer assessment. So that'll be the day we'll have that spring summer forecast out.
0: Okay, great. Um so I wanted to talk to you more about um you know perceptions about RTOs and, and kind of more specifically as it relates to ERCOT, what would you say are, are some common misperceptions the public has about ERCOT? And, you know, what do you wish the public knew more about in terms of what um, ERCOT does?
1: Well, I think maybe the most common misperception is that, that we own some part of the grid. And uh, as an independent system operator, uh, we don't own any generation we don't own any transmission. Uh, the only assets that ERCOT owns are maybe the buildings that, that we operate out of. Uh, we don't perform maintenance. We don't have maintenance crews that go out. Uh, we help coordinate the, the building of new generation, building of new transmission, the maintenance work that goes on. That We have outage coordination groups that, that help make sure everyone has a, has, a, has a chance to do the maintenance they need to do. Um, we plan for future needs, but we just don't we don't own that, that, the grid, any part of the grid and we, we don't build any part of the grid. Um, whenever we see a need for new generation in the future, I think that's another mis, misperception is that we go out and, and have it built or have someone build it. And, and that's not the case either. New generation is built by developers that uh, think they can make money building that new generation. So our role is to put out market intelligence that signals that there's a chance that someone could make money with new generation going into the future, and so we simply operate the grid that uh, we've been provided.
0: I would imagine, you know, given, and I guess the question I would have as a follow-up is, and obviously, with uh, the 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 winter storm and the outages of 2021, the uh, the governor. Uh, you know, took actions and there was the state lawmakers also took a closer look at at, at ERCOT's operation. So would you say it's fair to say that since that time, um, the public has a better sense of what, what you guys do? And it's it maybe more sympathetic in terms of how the grid is operated?
1: I think a lot more people know who ERCOT is now than they did maybe, you know, 16 months ago, 18 months ago, for sure. So we've certainly been in the news more than, than we have been in the past. And I think overall, people probably understand better. But um, I still see news reports and things that, that show that there is a there is a lack of understanding, even now, what uh, ISOs do and companies like ERCOT.
0: Could you talk about how ERCOT's managing um, the integration of energy storage, electric vehicles, and renewable energy supplies into the grid?
1: Sure. So let's take each one of those separately, uh, because they're all three very different. So energy storage, um, batteries, uh, chemical batteries are where we're seeing most of the uh, activity in energy storage. Um, Energy storage is something really new for the grid in that uh, a, a battery can behave like a load it can consume electricity when it's charging and it can behave like a generator when it discharges. And that's, we've never had um, resources on the grid that do that. Um, you could look at maybe like a hydro unit or something as something that, that stores energy and then releases it, but it's not storing electric energy. It was storing water, converting it to electric energy. So, A resource that uses electricity as its fuel and then discharges onto the grid is something new. And so we've had to, uh, ERCOT, from a systems perspective, has had to combine the attributes of of both loads and generators in order to account for energy storage and bring energy storage into our market system. And we're still in the process of doing that. It's not a... uh, it's not an easy thing to, to change systems that have been developed over decades to operate the grid to incorporate this new kind of resource, this new energy storage resource. You know, another difference with, with energy storage is um, that both when it charges, when it takes energy and when it discharges and puts energy back on the grid, both have a duration. So a battery can't discharge forever. A battery has a set duration of time when it can discharge. Uh, If you think about a gas turbine, for example, um, as long as you supply that gas turbine with natural gas, it can put energy on the grid for an indefinite amount of time until it needs to go down for maintenance or something like that. But it could be hundreds of hours. With a battery, you have to take into account that if, if it's giving you 10 megawatts right now, how long can it continue to do that? And so that duration and that state of charge that a battery has is another aspect of energy storage that we've never seen before. And so we've had to incorporate that into our systems. It's a completely different different at- attribute. So energy storage is a, uh, is, a, is a very different animal than what we've seen with other resources in the past. Um, electric vehicles, Uh, are simply incorporated into our load forecast. So um, as people buy more EVs, and uh, our overall load forecast will continue to increase. Now, what's interesting about EVs are um, how they may affect the overall demand curve. So we have typically seen a, in the summer, you see a demand curve that builds throughout the day and peaks, you know, at five or six o'clock. Most people, most people's houses are at their warmest and their air conditioning load is on and maybe they get home from work. If enough EVs are purchased, will it change that? Will the new peak be at 630 when people start charging their cars, maybe when they come home from work or will it be some other time? Will it, uh, Will it uh, maybe inspire more companies to have uh, time of use rates? Will that become more prevalent? So from an electric vehicle standpoint, uh, it's incorporated their usage and their adoption is incorporated in our load forecast. And it still remains to be seen just what kind of effect EVs are going to have on the overall load forecast. And finally, you uh, mentioned uh, renewable energy supplies. So at ERCOT, the renewable energy supplies are primarily wind and solar. We don't have enough water flow through Texas to have much much hydro. But from a wind and solar perspective, um, tremendous amount of wind and solar growth over the last few years in ERCOT And the biggest challenge, I guess there's really two big challenges with with both of those types of resources. The first is forecasting. So if ERCOT's job is to balance generation and load at all times, then if I'm looking at what happens an hour from now, I have to know how much wind generation I'm going to have an hour from now or a day from now or six days or seven days from now, I need to have some estimate of how much wind is gonna be online. And the same thing goes for solar. And you would think maybe, well, solar is pretty easy, but uh, you have to account for cloud cover. And so when we have uh, 60, 80 different large transmission connected solar sites across the system and there's cloud cover over some and not others, that can actually add enough variation to, to affect our forecast. And so the biggest challenge is that forecasting aspect that goes with wind and solar. We have developed our forecasting skills at ERCOT over the last few years because we've had to in order to, to incorporate as much wind and solar as we have. Um, the, second, the second big challenge with with renewable energy is uh, the fact that they're inverter-based. So they generate power. That power is electronically transformed into AC power that goes on the grid. A, uh, a typical coal plant or, or gas turbine are synchronously connected with AC power to the grid, and they don't use inverters. And those inverters have special challenges um, from a stability standpoint. And um, there's some other things that that you have to study in order to incorporate those. So those are the two challenges with wind and solar. The first is the forecasting challenge. And the second is the fact that they're inverter-based. And they share those inverters with, uh, with, with energy storage devices as well, like batteries. So those are our, uh, our big things there with renewable energy
0: wanted to talk to you about um, a topic which I'm sure you know is is obviously a hot topic these days in the economy overall and the energy sector specifically, and and that's the workforce. Um, And so I wanted to kind of drill down in terms of uh, what ERCOT is doing in this area and more specifically, if you could talk about what programs you have in place to uh, recruit and develop potential and current employees.
1: Right. So... I think a lot of pla- a lot of places that employ engineers and technical staff right now are having a hard time keeping those engineers. There's a lot of competition for that technical talent. But what we found is that there is a, a renewed passion for the electric industry amongst college students. Um, college power programs are really growing right now, and there's a lot of uh, you know 20 year old uh, Perspective engineers out there that uh, that think the power industry is the place to be, and a lot of that has to do with renewable energy, and the energy storage, and just the, the general transformation that the, the grid is going through right now. And so that's very encouraging to us. I mean, so we spend a lot of time recruiting that talent, um, and once we get that talent on board, we we have a program that uh, we've started here. The, we call it the Engineer Development Program. We take the first year of that uh, new hire, and uh, we just invest as much as we can in those those new hires and expose them to as many different aspects of ERCOT as we can. ERCOT is, uh, is one of the few places that you can work that uh, has transmission planning and transmission operations and market operations and uh, IT work and there's a there's a whole wealth of uh, different uh, places that an electrical engineer or mechanical engineer can find things to do at ERCOT. And so I think we've tried to maximize that and use that in our recruiting. So in a sense, I guess what we're doing is we're, we're trying to grow our talent from from within to make up for the fact that uh, competition for talent that has been here for a while, it gets, it gets pretty, pretty intense.
0: So, uh, for my final question, I want to talk to you about um, again another hot topic these days uh, in the energy sector, and that and that relates to uh, cryptocurrency mining. And I think it's fair to say, you know, based on on my research in terms of preparing for this interview, that um, that activity is growing in, in Texas. Um, so, so in that context, could you talk about how concerned ERCOT is about the growth of cryptocurrency mining in Texas and um, any resulting increases in power demand. And the second question I had for you on that is, in what ways can cryptocurrency mining operations help balance um, supply and demand in in the Texas power market?
1: Right. So traditionally, load has grown at a very slow rate. So we traditionally see load grow at about 3% a year. If someone's going to add a large load to the ERCOT system, maybe a big manufacturing plant or something, we'll get three or four years notice. We'll have time to uh, put that load into planning cases and make any necessary transmission changes that need to be made, any upgrades we need to do, of transmission lines. And so those upgrades have two or three years to be put in place so that when that load does show up, we've got a system that's there to support it. The challenge of uh, crypto mining is that it's coming on us a lot faster. So large amounts of crypto load can be on the system and short circuit that, uh, that traditional timeline we've had in order to, to build the, genera- build the tra- generation and the transmission need to support that load. So that's the big challenge, is that what traditionally would have taken three or four or five years to show up on the grid is now showing up in a matter of months. So how do you reliably serve all the load on the grid when you have these, these spots of load that come on very, very quickly? And so that's the, that's the challenge that uh, the crypto load um, and really data centers, things like that, give, uh, give an ISO. Now, there are a lot of possibilities with, with, with that kind of load as well. I mean, there's a lot of value in load that can be strategically located in different parts of the grid where maybe there is excess power or maybe there are, uh, there are transmission improvements are not needed. And so from a, uh, from a locational standpoint, crypto load has, has some advantages. I mean, it's not uh, certain load can't be built just any place, but uh, crypto load possibly could. Um, it's also good to have load that's um, very price sensitive. And so as uh, conditions become more, more scarce, um, energy is more scarce, generation is, is tighter, we don't maybe the, the reserve margins start shrinking, prices go up, and in theory, crypto load turns off. And so that kind of load, price sensitive load, is, is, is very valuable as well. Um what that ultimately results in is a f- it's a flatter load shape. And a flatter load shape is is easier to serve than a load shape that has a, a lot of variation in it. So flatter load is good. And so there's a there's a lot of things that are uh, that are positives with crypto load. And there are also the challenges too, because if it's located in the wrong place, then it can cause some, some reliability problems.
0: On the point you made about you know, the, the idea of, of crypto load being able to, you know, turn off, is there, um, do you have any sense as to whether um, that um, was a factor in terms of the most recent winter? And did you, did you guys have any, any, um, any need to call on that load being turned off in, in a tighter supply situation?
1: Well, there probably wasn't enough to quite register yet during, during the winter when the prices got up high. Um, but I think by next winter, we should be able to see that register. Um, and and part, of the, part of the issues that we're going through right now is being addressed by a task force of market participants that are talking about how we recognize where crypto load is. We're, it's called the Large Flexible Load Task Force. And it's mostly focused on loads that are price sensitive, that can turn on and off very quickly, and how those should be incorporated into the market. And what market design changes need to be made to incorporate those those types of loads. And most of those loads will be things like crypto, crypto load. But, I mean, there may be some other things as well. And so... um, as that load, that type of load grows, we are also changing the market and changing the grid to incorporate that. And that's part of what that task force is working on.
0: Great. Thanks, Woody. Well, thanks again for for taking the time today to talk to us. It's been a great conversation. I think our listeners um, will, will get a lot of good information uh, out of our conversation. So thanks again.
1: All right. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. Be sure to check out past episodes and learn more at publicpower.org slash podcasts. Public Power Now comes to you from APPA and is produced by APPA Digital Content Director David Laila. I'm Paul Shimpoli, News Director at APPA. We'll be back next week with more from the world of public power and the broader industry.